This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're coming to you remotely this week from Costa Rica. And you may hear the busy streets of San Jose behind me during the program. We may be abroad, but we're reflecting back on the United States. Although Latin America has been only a minor issue in the presidential campaigns, immigration and proposals to expand business connections have arisen in the U.S. presidential debates. We'll go in-depth, but first, Kurt Devine is back in our studios in Washington, D.C. with this week's review of news from around Latin America. Argentina's Congress passed a law to lower the nation's voting age to 16. Critics say the law passed to help President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner attract youth voters ahead of the 2013 midterm elections. Argentine Congressman Agustin Rossi spoke about the law. This is a very important meeting because this law extends rights to a large number of Argentines. People between 18 and 70 are obligated to vote in Argentina, but voting will be optional for 16 and 17 year olds. Argentine authorities arrested one of Colombia's most wanted drug dealers, Henry de Jesus Lopez. Lopez, known as Mi Sangre, or My Blood, allegedly leads the Urabenos gang, which controls much of the drug trade in northern Colombia. Lopez thwarted two previous operations for his arrest, but police caught him while he was eating in a Buenos Aires restaurant. A group of students met recently in Washington, D.C. to share stories about their lives as undocumented immigrants. Colin Campbell has this story. American University senior Daniel Leon came to the United States with his mother when he was five years old. Leon recounted one particularly tough decision that he was forced to make at a young age due to his undocumented status. For me, it was a huge decision to decide to get a fake social. But it was the decision between going back to Venezuela or not being able to eat and dying here. So the fake social was reasonable to me. Leon and other students on the panel also took aim at the two presidential candidates and their unwillingness to provide details of their plans on immigration. Vicky Ramirez, a staff worker at the immigration advocacy group called United We Dream, who sat on the panel with students, said that the issue of immigrant rights is not a partisan one, and members of the immigration community are willing to work with politicians from both parties. Reporting for Latin Pulse, I'm Colin Campbell. Archaeologists unearthed one of the oldest Maya tombs ever found. Located at a temple site in western Guatemala, the tomb is believed to have been built between 700 and 400 BC for an ancient ruler or religious figure. The tomb contained a rich supply of jade jewelry, including a necklace with a vulture-headed human figure, but no bones were found. A Mexican man pled guilty in the killing of the U.S. Border Patrol agent, whose death uncovered the failed Fast and Furious gun smuggling operation. Manuel Osario Arellanes said he was part of a group that snuck into the U.S. to rob marijuana smugglers, which led to a gunfight that killed U.S. agent Brian Terry in 2010. Arellanes' guilty plea marks the biggest conviction to date in the case. He now faces life in prison. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine. This week, we're exploring topics that resonate in Latin America and their impact on the U.S. presidential race, 
and we begin with the contentious issue of immigration. Let's listen to an excerpt from the second presidential debate between former Governor Mitt Romney and President Barack Obama. If we're going to go after folks who are here illegally, we should do it smartly and go after folks who are criminals, gangbangers, people who are hurting the community, not after students, not after folks who are here just because they're trying to figure out how to feed their families. And that's what we've done. And what I've also said is, for young people who come here, brought here oftentimes by their parents, have gone to school here, pledged allegiance to the flag, think of this as their country, understand themselves as Americans, in every way except having papers, then we should make sure that we give them a pathway to citizenship. And that's what I've done administratively. Now, Governor Romney just said that you know, he wants to help those young people too, but during the Republican primary, he said, I will veto the DREAM Act that would allow these young people to have access. Now, let me mention one other thing, and that is self-deportation says let, it, let people make their own choice. What I was saying is we're not going to round up 12 million people, undocumented, illegals, and take them out of the nation. Instead, let ma people make their own choice. And if they, if they find that, that they can't get the benefits here that they want, and they, can't and they can't find the job they want, then they'll make a decision to go a place where, where they have better opportunities. But I'm not in favor of rounding up people and, 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 and taking them out of this country. I am in favor, as the president has said, and I agree with him, which is that if people have committed crimes, we've got to get them out of this country. We discussed immigration with Professor Alan Kraut of American University in this pre-recorded interview. You are an expert on immigration. Why hasn't it been more of a centerpiece of this election? Well, a recent Pew study indicated that only 41% of Americans consider it uh, in their top picks for important issues for the forthcoming election. And so there's been a real reduction in interest uh, in uh, the American population in the issue overall. That could be a, a frustration, feeling that there's not much that's going to happen before the election uh, and so on. But uh, when you come right down to it, both candidates and both parties have a real problem with the immigration issue. Uh, in the case of Mr. Obama, he made promises of comprehensive immigration reform um, during his first term. Uh, that has not come to be, although he has used the deferred action for childhood arrivals um, policy that he instituted over the summer as a way of helping undocumented youth who were brought to the United States to uh, regularize their status for at least two years. Uh, and uh, that's been a very popular policy. About 1.76 million uh, undocumented uh, immigrants are eligible for that program. There have been tens of thousands of applications, uh, and so there's a great deal of support for that program. But nevertheless, uh, the important Latino organizations, National Council of La Raza and others, uh, continue to point out to the president that he did not live up to his promise uh, made for the first term. And that uh, promise was comprehensive immigration yes, to, reform. Yes, to support rigorously uh, comprehensive immigration reform. He also, of course, failed to get the DREAM Act passed, though he worked very hard in its behalf. Um, this deferral is more or less a temporary DREAM Act for a limited amount of time, or, or is that saying too much about it? Well, it's actually a case of uh, prosecutorial discretion is the technical term. And what it means basically is uh, that federal prosecutors will not go after these young people 
uh, if they come forth, uh, declare themselves, um, have been of good character, have been uh, going to college or in the military, uh, and want to regularize their status. Uh, so it's, again, an act of discretion rather than legislation or something of a more permanent nature. And there's no question that whoever becomes president, if it is not Mr. Obama, if it's Mr. Romney instead, uh, could uh, withdraw his support for that program, in which case a number of people who have come forward could end up being um, detained and uh, deported. Now, in the case of Mr. Romney, he has a much more difficult road to hoe at this point because of statements that he made during the primary season and in the course of the campaign. Uh, he's spoken out of both sides of his mouth, really, with respect to immigration. On the one hand, he said that he would like to uh, staple a green card to the diplomas of college graduates uh, who are um, immigrants, who uh, are in the sciences, are in technical areas. He would like to keep them in our economy and so on. On the other hand, uh, he spoke about uh, the undocumented and proposed self-deportation, uh, a very unpopular term. Uh, he has uh, advocated even more rigorous enforcement on the border than Mr. Obama, who's been very rigorous in enforcing immigration laws on the border. And we should be clear that President Obama has actually deported more immigrants undocumented in his time than any other president previous. Is that That's true? correct. That's correct. Uh, the enforcement on the border has been very, very stringent. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, being uh, taken into custody and uh, deported. And so now, uh, to come back to Mr. Romney, uh, he has to live with the uh, self-deportation concept. Uh, he has promised to build high the fence between the United States and Mexico and to continue that project. And on top of everything else, uh, there is strong suspicion that he includes most immigrants, uh, especially undocumented, in the 47% of the population who he says would really like to be dependent upon the government. Uh, and so it, for all of these reasons, there's a great deal of suspicion within the Latino community uh, of Mr. Romney. Uh, it's estimated that the Latino vote could be very, very significant in the coming election. Uh, first of all, 27 million Latinos uh, are eligible to vote in the election. Um, and there are high concentrations of uh, Latinos, uh, Latino voters in some of the key states, including Nevada, Colorado, and Florida, uh, which are up for grabs. And so this is not uh, an inconsequential uh, portion of the electorate, and it is expected that there will be a fairly high turnout within the Latino community. I've heard estimates as high as 77%. So President Obama, despite the deportations, despite not being able to deliver on comprehensive immigration reform, still is able to energize this part of the population to vote for him. Yes, uh, President Obama definitely has the ear of the Latino community. I think in part because of the Deferred uh, Action for Ch Children Act, or um, initiative, I should say, uh, because he did work hard for the DREAM Act, although it wasn't passed, uh, because he has addressed himself to the Latino community and to other immigrant groups within the population in a very affirmative kind of way. 
uh, and because uh, he now seems to be ready or at the point where he'll pursue vigorously uh, comprehensive immigration reform, or at least that's what he's once again saying. We only saw this issue dealt with very briefly in the second presidential debate. Is this too dangerous for either campaign to deal with? This is a very dangerous issue for both campaigns. Uh, though Mr. Obama did raise it in the, uh, the second debate very briefly, um, neither candidate wants to be vigorous uh, on this issue, largely because there are some votes to be gained, but there are many votes to be lost. Uh, there are within the Democratic Party uh, many who would vote for Mr. Obama, but who are not crazy uh, about uh, a welcoming uh, embrace of newly arrived immigrants and especially the undocumented. And certainly uh, this is a, a toxic issue for Mr. Romney. Uh, I think for both parties, there's a key word here in the debate that is often neglected. Both sides, when it comes to undocumented immigrants, really want punishment. Uh, I put that word in quotation marks, uh, but both sides argue that the undocumented are lawbreakers and that lawbreakers must be punished. What neither side can agree on with the other is what the nature of that punishment or penalty might be. In your writings, I'm sure you must deal with this issue of the economics of, of immigration. And, and the argument often goes that, that these undocumented workers are taking jobs away. Is, isn't it more a value-added proposition, or am I incorrect here? Well, it's very much more a value-added proposition. Uh, immigrants, including undocumented immigrants, pay taxes. Uh, they are contributors to the economy, both through their own productivity, uh, the taxes that they pay, and sh uh, ultimately, uh, the future. I mean, if we talk about problems with uh, Social Security, we talk about problems with Medicare, uh, revenue must come from somewhere. And these young workers uh, are going to generate the revenue that will su support those programs. In addition to that, uh, when you think at the upper end of the educational scale, uh, you think about the young physicians, the young engineers, uh, the computer whizzes who have overstayed their visas and are now in the category of undocumented. These are productive people. These are precisely the kind of people we want to, to energize our economy and move us forward. Now, Governor Romney does want to make an exception for those folks. Yes, he does, but he's very unclear on exactly whether or not he wouldn't make uh, a trade-off between some of those young people who are highly skilled and others uh, who he would uh, like to deport and, uh, and remove from the economy altogether. And um, I think we're in a, what we're seeing is that both sides acknowledge the economic value of immigrants um, and yet at the same time, we can't seem to come to an accommodation about how to regularize the status of the undocumented, how to make people feel welcome, and how to tap into uh, and maximize their economic usefulness to this society in the long run. Do you think anything changes in November, or do we go forward fairly much the way we have been? Well, it depends who's elected uh, in November. If Mr. Obama is elected, uh, I have uh, reason to believe that he will actually pursue comprehensive immigration reform 
more vigorously than he has in the past. And it's terribly important not only to Mr. Obama, but to other Democratic candidates uh, that the party appear to be acting in good faith and to keep faith uh, with the Latino voters who have been so important uh, to the administration and members of other immigrant groups as well. Uh, if Mr. Romney is elected president of the United States, uh, he too will undoubtedly pursue um, a comprehensive immigration policy, but it may be considerably more restrictive than anything that Mr. Obama would agree to. And on top of that, uh, there is still the issue of uh, uh, self-deportation and uh, all of the other concerns that he's raised about his relationship with the Latino community and other immigrant groups as well. So he might support laws modeled on what is going on down in Arizona, even though parts of that law were struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, if we look at the record, Mr. Uh, Romney has been uh, very much in favor of and praised the legislation in Arizona. In fact, uh, his chief uh, immigration advisor is one of the people who was the architect of the legislation in Arizona. He's also had praise for the policies in Alabama, which in some ways uh, has uh, a law that's even more um, restrictive and uh, negative with respect to immigrant presence within the state. Uh, and so um, it's not an optimistic picture. And even though Mr. Romney has praised uh, immigration in the history of the United States, warms a historian's heart, I might say, uh, nevertheless, his uh, other comments and his uh, behavior both during the primaries and the campaign season uh, seem to belie those warm, fuzzy sentiments with respect to immigration. Well, thank you, historian Alan Kraut from American University, joining us today on Latin Pulse. Thank you, Rick. I want to finish school and then go to college to be able to graduate and have the future my parents couldn't have. Because I know that going to college is the best thing I can do for my future. The words of a parent help to build the future of a child. The Hispanic Scholarship Fund has the information to help your kids go to college. Visit yourwordstoday.org or call 1-877-HSF-8711. Sponsored by the Hispanic Scholarship Fund and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Better business connections with Latin America surfaced briefly in all three presidential debates. Let's listen to this excerpt from Mitt Romney during the third debate. We're going to increase our trade. Trade grows about 12% per year. It doubles about every, every five or, or so years. We can do better than that, particularly in Latin America. The opportunities for us in Latin America, we have just not taken advantage of fully. The free trade pact that went into effect this week with Panama is just one example of such expanded trade. We discussed the potential for this type of economic development with Professor Frank Dubois, of the Kogod School of Business at American University in this pre-recorded interview. Obviously, we had a significant economic downturn in 2008-2009. Things are picking back up since then, but uh, as a result of things like the Columbia Free Trade Agreement, the Panamanian Free Trade Agreement, uh, CAFTA and the Dominican Republic Free Trade Agreement, uh, a significant amount of rebalancing in terms of trade flows uh, from Latin America to uh, North America to, to the U.S., uh, the uh, introduction of China into the equation uh, over the last two decades, basically, uh, in a very significant way. Uh, we're going to continue to see business grow. 
in, in Latin America. I think the question, though, is which Latin America? As you know, there's a lot of different Latin American countries that are involved here. Some are pro-business, some maybe less pro-business. And uh, from that perspective, uh, we have to think in terms of uh, which trading partners are going to be the most uh, uh, beneficial, at least in, in the American context. Uh, you know, Latin America is never going to replace China, uh, but it's going to play a significant role going forward. You mentioned uh, a number of free trade agreements that the Obama administration has signed. Right now, Argentina and Brazil are the really the only two major countries in Latin America who don't have a free trade agreement with the United States. Is it a possibility that we're going to see the U.S. and Brazil negotiate something like this going forward? Uh, not in the foreseeable. I don't see it happening in the foreseeable future. Um, I know that is something that's been talked about. We had uh, the the idea of a free trade area of the Americas that uh, pretty much uh, evaporated. The probability of that happening uh, evaporated back in uh, 2006. Um, the Brazilians don't need us as much as they used to. Uh, the Brazilians uh, have markets in China for their commodities. The Brazilians do need uh, North American expertise, and I don't mean just U.S. expertise, but Canadian expertise. They need European expertise uh, in terms of transforming the commodity wealth that they have uh, in below ground, as Jeffrey Sachs says, the, to, turning this wealth that's below ground into wealth above ground. Uh, so they're going to need Western expertise to do that. There's a huge deficiency uh, in terms of science and engineering in the Brazilian economy that's, that's got to be rectified by uh, um, educational initiatives. So below ground, we're talking oil, we're talking other resources? We're talking oil, we're talking minerals, uh, iron, steel, we're talking agricultural resources uh, uh, in Argentina, uh, we're talking uh, sugar, uh, biofuels uh, in Brazil. Uh, we're talking of any number of different resources that are available in these countries. The problem, as, as we know, has always been uh, a, a deficit in terms of the amount of value added that takes place in Latin America uh, compared to being an exporter. There was, the you know, back in the 80s, the center-periphery discussion that uh, – the developed countries get all the value added, which is where a lot of the wealth is is accumulated, uh, and the emerging markets wind up uh, exporting the raw material commodities uh, to the West. Uh, that's changing. You know, you're seeing companies like uh, Embraer uh, exporting commuter aircraft uh, to North America and in Europe, and uh, you can't get on a, a small jet these days without it, it probably having been made in Brazil. Now, it's not all, not all of it's made in Brazil, but a significant portion of the value added took place in Brazil. Engines came from the U.S., uh, landing gear may have come from Europe, uh, et cetera. But uh, a lot of Latin America are, are becoming part of a global value chain out there. You mentioned the Brazilian aviation company. What other companies should we be looking for that are going to be making a difference if, if we are going to see more trade coming forward? Uh, well, in Costa Rica, for instance, uh, there's a, uh, Intel has invested close to a billion dollars in uh, integrated circuit manufacturing there. It's one of their largest exporters. Uh, there's a free trade zone that they created to encourage Intel to locate there. Uh, 
Uh, it was a very uh, creative initiative in order for Intel to take advantage of, uh, obviously, lower labor cost uh, in Co- Costa Rica and an and a, uh, economic environment that was conducive to them for doing what they were doing. Um, in Brazil, for instance, I've been working on research in the shipbuilding industry there, and basically what's happening is that the state-owned oil company, Petrobras, is reinvesting the funds that they are raising uh, into uh, uh, rejuvenation of the Brazilian shipbuilding industry, which was, was one of the top shipbuilding industries in the world back in the 1970s and, and 1960s, which collapsed in the face of economic mismanagement in the 1980s. Now they're dumping a lot of money into rejuvenating these uh, shipyards. And uh, the largest shipyard in the Southern Hemisphere is in northeastern Brazil, in Pernambuco, which just coincidentally happens to be Lula's home state. And Lula, the former president of Brazil. Correct. So his, his impact politically has also carried forward economically. Correct, correct. Uh, he has uh, pushed very heavily for uh, economic development and uh, economic development initiatives in those parts of Brazil that had not seen very much in the way of these things in the past. As a result, uh, workers are staying in those areas rather than migrating to Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro State in order to find work. So you're seeing a, a, a lot of activity here, and you're seeing um, Western multinationals uh, see, looking at foreign direct investment opportunities uh, in Latin America that they not, might not have been looking at before because they feel their money is safe there. Their investment's going to be safe there. The days of uh, expropriation, military dictatorships are, for all intents and purposes, gone. When we talk about expropriation, we're, we're excluding, I would guess, Venezuela from that Yes, yes. And when you talk about Latin America, you have to talk which Latin America. If if you say, okay, we're going to increase our trade relationships with Latin America. Latin America isn't a single entity with a a couple of ports of entry and a a, a single uh, voice, a single political voice there. You've got extremes. You've got uh, the uh, summit of the Americas last April collapsed partly because uh, the uh, Canada and the U.S. did not want Cuba involved. Uh, in that. And Cuba's going to play a role going forward. Maybe as Cuba opens up, as it has recently, with with, with respect to allowing its citizens to leave uh, and uh, get uh, travel visas more easily, uh, that may change. Because you brought up Cuba. Isn't Cuba really the only country that the United States isn't already doing quite a bit of business with in the region? Uh, that's, uh, correct. Uh, I, you know, Paraguay is probably fairly low on the, the import export, uh, totem pole with respect to doing business there. Uh, you know, we have huge trade remittances, uh, huge, uh, remittances, remittances going to Salvador, Mexico, et cetera. But, uh, you know, right now Cuba is, is still out there, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, its perception as a rogue nation, uh, from the U.S. political perspective. When that's going to change, I have no idea. You mentioned multinationals who are looking more and more at Latin America as a good investment, as a good place to do business. What multinationals are on your radar that seem to be more interested in that area? Well, uh, the automotive companies, obviously, uh, probably are, are number one. Um, uh, mineral resource extraction companies, oil companies, are, are exploring in, uh, off the coast of Brazil. Uh, there was recently a fairly large uh, uh, 
oil discovery in the Gulf of Mexico off the coast of uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, I believe it was. Uh, so oil, automotives, uh, electronics, to some extent, um, you know, aviation in, in, in terms of sub-assemblies, parts components, and parts of the global value chain where there are advantages in terms of value added. As U.S. labor costs go down and U.S. manufacturing uh, increases as a result of exchange rate benefits, as a result of uh, lower cost of energy here in the United States, uh, you're going to see more interest in, in improving value chain relationships between the U.S. and Latin America. You have geographic proximity advantages that you don't have in Asia. Well, thank you, Professor Frank Dubois of the Kogod School of Business at American University. Join us today on Latin Pulse. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Rick. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or on Facebook, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Kurt Devine, announcer Victor Kilo, and writer Colin Campbell, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2012, Las Rocas Productions. Thank you.